Okay, who here likes watching movies? Who likes watching television? Who hates fun? I'm kidding. <laughs> Evan didn't raise his hand for any of that, so I'm like, <laughs> I thought I knew you. Anyways, okay. I am not a film major, so Jackson, don't get offended, or Cassidy. Um, but I love watching movies also, like everybody cool here. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that make a movie amazing, you know, special effects, solid casting, everything else that Jackson and Cassie studied. Um, I would say to me, one of the things that makes movies like the most satisfying is like a really solid origin story. Does anybody else like that? Um, seeing somebody's transformation from like A to Z um, is one of the most satisfying and empowering things to me. I love seeing characters just like change dramatically and find their purpose and place to change the world. My husband, Tony, and I, we love re-watching some of our favorite movies and uh, shows. So, for example, during phase three and four of Marvel, um, whenever a new movie would drop, we'd re-watch all the shows, except for the ones that are, like, a little too violent or a little too crazy. But all of the, the shows um, and all the movies in chronological order. Tony's very nerdy about the exact chronological order of every single episode and short and stinger and all of that um, in order to get ready for the new movie. Um, same with Star Wars. I remember when episode eight came out. We're not going there, haters, so don't just keep your attitudes to yourself. Um, but Tony and I were leading a mission trip to the Middle East, and on the 14 and a half hour plane flight from Seattle to Dubai, it's a long plane flight, Tony was like, okay, we can watch all seven Star Wars movies just in a row. We can fit them in and like have a little bit of time to sleep. And I was like, all right, let's try. And that was going great until one of us fell asleep somewhere over the Arctic Circle um, just something about Jar Jar and, you know, whining, and I don't know. Um, that was an L, but I learned my limit was like about four movies in a row. Um, but anyways, I don't know about you guys, but when I rewatch something from the beginning, um, after I've seen it before, I'm often caught by surprise at how, like, whiny the characters started off, or how annoying, because I remember them at the end of their arc, right? I, I'm no, no shade on him, but I always forget how whiny Luke is when we first meet him. I'm like, bro, you're supposed to be a mature, mysterious Jedi, and not like a whiny teenager, but he kind of is. Um, C-3PO never changes. But anyways, like, um, also one of Tony and I's favorite Marvel shows, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, we rewatched it like six times or something. And one of the main characters, uh, Skye slash Daisy Johnson, um, she starts off like so annoying in the beginning. And I always forget that. I'm like, ah! Anyways. So, and then, yeah, they go through their arc and then it's great. And they become this incredible superhero. But sometimes it feels really cringy to go back to the beginning and see how somebody begins, right? You guys, hopefully I'm not alone in that. But it's so satisfying when you get to watch their whole arc and see who they become, which is actually an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyways, um, so tonight as we flippity flip to Acts chapter 9, we are going to witness the origin story of a man named Saul. And we briefly met him last week in Taylor's message when Taylor was talk talking about Stephen um, and his... Uh, story and his execution. So let's just reread what Taylor read last week, um, the last bit. So Acts 7:54 through 8:3. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, aka Stephen's awesome stuff, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, which is also what my kids do, which is really funny. Um, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Uh, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. 
and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. We saw Saul throw up, sh- oh, nope, we saw Saul, sorry, I was thinking about throwing up. Anyways, we saw Saul show up three times in those verses. Um, the first was in 758, as the executioners laid their coats at his feet when they were going out to stone Stephen to death. And whether this meant that Saul was actually in charge of the execution and like overseeing it, or he was just there as a significant member, um, we first meet him in the pages of scripture when he's involved in killing Jesus' followers. And then when the believers bury Stephen and they're mourning him, Saul just got even busier. He shifted even more into gear, going from house to house and dragging off believers to go into prison. Clearly, he's a man on a mission, and that mission was to destroy the church and persecute anyone who dared to follow Jesus. But as our section picks up in chapter 9 tonight, it's going to get real. So would you guys turn with me? And we're going to read Acts 9, 1 through 31. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I kind of wonder what that would sound like. It's very ominous. Anyways, he went to the high priest and asked them for letters um, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any people there who belonged to the way, hashtag this is the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to all the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may, be, you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners of the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Oh, I wrote my Bible. My, how the turntables have turned. Um, (laughs) But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. What did you guys think of that story? What did we just see happen? Well, in short, I think we can sum up Paul's journey with just this meme. For the podcast, it's the Change My Mind guy. He says, I shall go to Damascus to persecute the followers of Jesus. Then Jesus shows up. I change my mind. So with that, the worship team can come up, and we can just call it a night. Um, But we still have some time, so let's expand a little bit more. Um, Let's look at three aspects of Paul's story tonight. I want to look at transformation, identity, and mission. First, transformation. Would you agree that's an accurate word to describe Paul's journey here? Transformation is literally what happened to him and what happens to all of us who begin following Jesus. We go from being dead to alive, from serving ourselves to serving our king, Jesus, from going one way to going the opposite way, becoming literally a new creation. Saul used to argue forcefully against faith in Jesus. Now he starts going out of his way to debate in synagogues every chance he gets that Jesus is in fact king and Messiah and God. By the time he arrives at his destination in Damascus, he's operating literally the opposite of how he plans to operate when he started off, right? Verses 1 through 2, starting his road trip, breathing out murderous threats against Lord's disciples, he's heading to the synagogues with letters in his pocket, giving him authority to arrest anybody who follows Jesus. That's how he starts, like, his his little Google Maps journey thing. Um, By verse 20, he gets to the synagogue, and at once he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What? And this isn't just like a one-off or a short-term change for him. He's barely getting started. We're going to see him doing this more and more all throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Every chance he gets, he seeks opportunity to share the news that Jesus is king, even when it puts his own life at risk. Um, Because Paul is such a major player, Saul is such a major player in the book of Acts, Um, I just want to briefly look ahead a little bit. Um, In Acts 11.25, we're going to see that Barnabas is going to go down to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he'll bring him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, they met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And this is the very first time anybody was called a Christian was in Antioch, and it meant those who belonging to Christ. Around Acts chapter 13, we see Saul start going by the name of Paul. Um, Saul was his original Hebrew and Greek name, Hebrew and Jewish name, sorry. And then his later name, Paul, was his Roman slash Hellenistic Greek name. Um, it was customary for people in that time because Paul was a Jew. Um, and so, but he was also living in the Roman Empire, and so he had double names, which is kind of sweet. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, so this shift in Acts, when, Paul, when Saul starts being called Paul, I think that could also show that his specific mission from God was to bring the gospel specifically to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. So he began going by his Roman name. And speaking of bringing the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, most of the rest of Acts tells about Paul's missionary journeys, taking the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles, and making God's mysteries known to everyone he can. You guys remember Acts 1. It's come up like every single message. Jesus told his guys, yo, wait in Jerusalem. Wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, clothed with power from on high, because this gospel must be preached in Jerusalem, then to Judea, bigger area, and to Samaria, bigger area, and to the ends of the earth. 
Guys, we see Paul literally doing that throughout the book of Acts. It's structured to show how he's taking the gospel beyond Jerusalem to Judea and then to Samaria and to the ends of the known earth at that time. Um, he preaches and he finds intelligent ways to reach people and share Jesus with him. And guys, he goes through a lot. Acts 14, just spoiler alert, he's stoned, which usually kills you pretty good. But when his executioners walk away, pretty sure he's dead because it probably isn't their first rodeo. Um, he's miraculously healed. He gets up and goes back into the city and resumes preaching. How baller is that? What transformation took place in his life to go from overseeing the stoning of Jesus' followers to then being stoned himself, getting up and going right back into the city he was just thrown out of to resume preaching? That's some transformation. Chapter 16, he's in prison, as he is many times after that. I'm not going to preach all of Acts, don't worry, but... He's arrested a bunch, he's on trial a bunch, he's shipwrecked. That must be interesting. Um, he spends all of his time in prison writing letters to instruct the baby churches that he's helped start or has been instructing. And those letters are some of my favorite pages of the Bible now that we call it Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So many of, of the amazing letters that were instructed from. He penned those under chains. And concluding his story, the very last book verse of the book of Acts, 20 chapters after this, it ends with Paul preaching under Roman guards. So he's got this like big beefy Roman dude changed to him. And the very last verse of Acts says, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Even chained to a, a dude in prison, he was not hindered in teaching and sharing about Jesus. Guys, talk about a 180. What an origin story from being on mission to destroy the church, chapter 8, to working with every breath of his life for the rest of his life to build up Jesus' church. So what are some takeaways for us from Paul's transformation story? First one is, guys, let's never underestimate God's abundant grace and transforming power for you, for me, for others. Think about yourself. Think about your life. If there's something you're not sure that God could set you free from or heal you from or, or make new in your life, look again. This is a God who turns murderers into missionaries, who, who raises the dead back to life. There's nothing too big or too small for him to personally attend to. What do you need to have faith for God to do in your life tonight? Second takeaway I have is no one is too far gone for God to save. Paul literally says about himself that he was the worst of all sinners. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Guys, no matter what you've done, no matter what any of us have done, no matter how far away from Jesus' ways we've ever been, we are not too far for him to reach and save and make new. That's actually his specialty. Jesus made Paul a new creation. We can see from Acts through Hebrews like what God did through Paul's transformed life. What could he do through your life if you go all in and give him 100% control? How is Jesus inviting you to say yes to trusting him, to going all in, full send to following him? How can he use you to make disciples and change the world? The third takeaway that I think from Paul's um, transformation story is, is also that on the flip side, nobody is like too cool or too elite or exempt from Jesus drafting us into his service um, or urging our hearts to volunteer to serve him as a missionary. None of us are too far gone. Also, none of us are like, too cool or talented to be called into that. 
Um, one time when Paul's talking to the church in Philippi, he shares his testimony and the things that he used to put his confidence and identity in as a person before he met Jesus. Um, so I'm just read Philippians 3, 4 through 14. He's telling them, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh and like the humanness, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I'm going to pause and give a brief exclamation because this probably doesn't jump off the page to us. It's like, whoa, screaming resume. Um, Paul's basically explaining that in his culture, this pedigree and resume was basically the goat. He had it all. He was the image of like the ideal Jew and Roman citizen. You couldn't find fault in his devotion or loyalty or what he'd achieved by this point. Then we got a Bible but. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Guys, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So again, Paul's resume was basically unbeatable. He had climbed all the ladders at a crazy young age. He was the man. In terms of human society that he was in, he was highly, highly qualified on his own. But then he met Jesus, and he instantly cashed in all of his human achievements and qualifications that had worked for him pretty good on earth, and he started considering that stuff garbage. All he wanted was to be with Jesus. What changed for him? I see the key in verse 8. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He found in Jesus a worth that's infinitely better than the worth of anything else we have going for us, any of our marketable qualities that are stacked up achievements. This surpassing worth made Paul want to give it all up to just simply know Jesus and be used however Jesus wanted to direct his life. Have we met Jesus in this way? Have you and I, have we discovered a surpassing worth in him that totally exceeds any other pressure or pleasure or influence in your life? I'm sure each of us have a ton of skills that are marketable and like we all have qualities and capabilities that are as unique as, as each of us are. And that, those are awesome tools that God could use. But I, I want to ask in this question tonight, are we trusting in those things? Are, are we placing our identity and our security in those? Or are we really willing to lay all of that at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you just use me, speak to me. I'll do whatever you ask me to do, my king. Again, you don't have to burn your resume tonight. I'm not saying it's bad to like build a resume or have marketable qualities. But I think those things shouldn't bottleneck or hinder our willingness to accept whatever call King Jesus speaks over our lives. And like Paul's words, maybe our resume or career goals, they shouldn't be so precious to us that we couldn't readily surrender them to our king. Speaking of precious, I thought of a, a Melissa term, um, which could be weird because I'm sick, I don't know. But Paul models garbage mode, where he comes to love Jesus so much that those other things seem worthless, and he counts them as garbage. But on the other extreme, you have golem mode. That was for you, Elijah. Um, if we're going golem mode and we're holding our precious achievements and goals back from Jesus, that's probably a problem. You can't really, like, think of Aladdin. I always think of this with Jesus. I don't know why. He's like, Melissa, do you trust me? And I'm like, 
I thought so. Um, but can I grab Jesus' hand and like go, you know, um, whole new world, like if I'm like clinging on to my stuff? You can't hold Jesus if you've got your closed fist. Anyways, so garbage mode, golem mode. If we're, if we're like stuck clinging to our achievements and our, our like qualities, we're going to miss out on the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, right? I, I don't want to miss out on that, and I, I hope none of us miss out on that. Um, so I, I hope that all of this is trying to say, like, there's an invitation for us to always taste more of Jesus, always to learn how worthy he is, the surpassing worth. It never gets old. Um, is there any reason that any of us could be forging a draft exemption notice from being called to serve Jesus any way he asks? Sometimes I've found some of us, like, subconsciously write ourselves out of, like, going on a mission trip or, or giving a year to, to serve Jesus or, like, being a missionary overseas, for example. I'm not saying all of us are going to do that, but some of us forge an exemption notice so that we don't even get called, you know what I mean? Because of our past, our personality, our plans, our priorities, or a self-image that's either way too low or way too high, do you somehow assume that you're not a qualified candidate or are exempt from Jesus calling you however he wants to call you? Again, I'm not saying that all of us are going to be called to something specific, but um, I'm asking this because sometimes a few of us think that way, and I, I would just challenge us to wrestle with that tonight. Because I love you, I want you to be in a posture of full surrender before our fully good King Jesus and let him graciously lead our lives how he will. So are you fully surrendered to Jesus? Will you lay down your assumptions of the future, lay down your walls, and let him transform you, craft your identity, and lead you in his mission? All right, second part of our message is about identity. One thing that Tim teases me for, probably the only thing Tim would ever tease me for, is that I have a Bible crush on Paul. Of course, I love Jesus the most, most. But as far as, like, regular homies who get stuff done and change the world, Paul's my guy. Um, I think back in college, I said this before. Maybe it's been a couple of years. I don't know. Anyways. Okay. I never remember how long it's been since I said this. But anyways, um, Bible crush on Paul was getting out there. Um, I think back in college, one of the main reasons I came to admire Paul so much is because he seemed rock solid in his, identi- in his identity. And that was something that I really admired as a college student trying to figure out who on earth I'm supposed to be. I remember my senior year, I was diving deeper in faith and falling in love, in love with Jesus more than ever that year. I spent hours every day when my roommates were gone to class. I was just like reading my Bible and journaling and soaking in Jesus' presence. I remember one morning, I was like, I'm feeling good. I got a good breakfast, good coffee. The sun is shining for once in Bellingham. Got mallards. You know, it's, it's there all the time. You don't have to just be in Carroll for 10 years. But anyways, um, sun is shining in Bellingham. I'm going to read all of Romans today in this God time. I'm just going to go. So I turned over to Romans, and I was ready to soak it all up. And two hours later, when it was time to go to class, I had gotten through exactly one verse. Any guesses? I'll just tell you, it's Romans (laughs) 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. One verse. And yet I found this inexhaustible depth of richness for me to mine. Paul's self-identity statement as he's writing a letter to a church, how he identifies himself right at the start as a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. As a student trying to figure out who the heck I'm supposed to be, seeking God's direction for my future in every way, job, relationships, where on earth I'm supposed to live, that verse met me. It was like a rock-solid foundation for my shaky, overthinking brain to rest on and get sorted out. Paul, a servant of Jesus, Was I willing to be solely and primarily identified as a servant of Jesus? What's a servant mean? I journaled pages and pages off of that verse, wrestling through what else do I put my identity in, thinking about the gospel and what Jesus had done in my life, and 
what really has eternal value anyway for me to spend my tiny life doing? I came to say, yeah, I could say I'm Melissa, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, a sent one for the gospel on mission with Jesus. That makes sense. If my identity is a servant of Jesus, I'm called to be sent out of that truth and mission and living story. So I looked up what it meant to be an apostle and what that was like, and I drove about that too. I wanted to quiet all the competing voices for my identity and narrow my focus on what does Jesus say? What does he want me to be and do? I sensed, yeah, he's calling me to also be a sent one, carrying the gospel to others, building up the church. Set apart for the gospel of God. That's like what the word holy means. Like, rather than just being in this default pile of, like, normal stuff, common stuff, earth default stuff, something is plucked out of that pile and set apart for a different use, a special, not common use. Rather than my life just serving the default American corporate rat race, what if I was set apart for the gospel? What would that look like? That would transform my priorities in any job I'd ever have. That would transform my purpose and bring clarity that this world doesn't give me. That would set me free from so many of the ties this world piles on me because I'd know I'm not living for that stuff. Everything about myself and my life is set apart for a different kingdom, a different purpose for the gospel of Jesus. Paul discovered his identity through meeting with Jesus, the one who saved him and transformed him and did a radical changing work in his life. Knowing his identity and his calling helped him know what to say yes to, what to say no to, and how to conduct himself in all the situations he was in. Have you figured out your identity in a way this clear? How is Jesus speaking into and and defining who you are, who he is, and who he's calling you, how he's calling you to join his mission? Um, Just one little tool that I brought tonight. Um, Just if you're interested, this is not like the Bible, but this is just something I did in college called a personal mission statement. Um, I printed off some of these um, in the front, just if it's like interesting to you. I made one of these in college and helped me kind of walk through like of all the values that there are, like what are the values that I feel like I need to be centered on? Um, what do I need to be living for? Um, kind of narrowing those down. Um, so if you ever want to do it sometime, um, feel free to grab them. Third is Paul's mission. So Paul's transformation and his newfound identity led him to be crystal clear about his life mission. We can see that through reading Acts chapter 12 through 28 um, and the strong heartbeat leaping off the pages in the books of the New Testament that he wrote, like Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. That's not bad to show for your time in prison. I would probably have a bunch of Netflix, like, watched sort of things. So that's, like, goals. Not that I want to be in prison necessarily. But anyways, um, Paul clearly clearly spells out his mission many times. One of my favorites is in Romans 15 as he's wrapping up his amazing letter to the church in Rome. He says, Romans 15, 15 through 21, I have written to you quite boldly on some points, mood, to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I won't venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me, leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, hey, Judea, Samaria, anyways, um, I lost my spot. Jerusalem, Illyricum, where you at? I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who, see, who have not heard will understand. So guys, Paul's mission from Jesus was to be an ambassador of him, a sent one to the Gentiles. Paul wanted to travel wherever God allowed him to go in the world to preach the gospel in places that hadn't heard yet. 
some of the other apostles focused their ministry more locally, like leading the growing churches, um, and that's an imp- incredibly important job. But also, God's mission compels us to share the gospel, not just here at home, or not just in Rome, or not just in Washington. There are important jobs here, but if everybody stays here, nobody in the Middle East or Southeast Asia or Islamic parts of Africa or whatever are going to hear the name of Jesus. So as an example, that's the difference between lost people and unreached people groups. People who don't know Jesus here have the chance to bump into a Christian in the circ tabling or being invited to something by a coworker, or they could find a Bible at Goodwill. They could find a sermon online. There's lots of ways to hear about Jesus in their everyday life. We're still compelled to go and share with them, but that's just illustrating the kind of access they have here to learning about Jesus. Unreached people groups are very different. There are so few believers in their whole language group, their whole culture, they're super unlikely to ever bump into a Christian, let alone find a Bible in their language, let alone come across the resources that we have here. So their ethno-linguistic community has yet to be penetrated by the gospel and sent ones of Jesus. So that's the explanation to say all are equally lost, but not all have equal access to the gospel. And if none of us go to the unreached people groups, nothing's going to change for them. They'll keep living and dying and not knowing Jesus. So I'm explaining that because Paul's mission and his moment of history was to be a missionary to the unreached. And he paved the way for so many of us today to keep joining in God's mission, taking the baton that's been passed down for the last couple thousand years to share Jesus with people to the very ends of the earth. And guys, I love how Paul describes this logically in Romans 10, 13 through 15. He says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How could they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How could they hear without somebody preaching to them? How can anybody preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So if you like reverse engineer that logic, he's basically saying, okay, if a missionary is sent somewhere else, they can talk to people who don't know Jesus. Then those people can hear about him, have a chance to believe. If they believe in Jesus, they can call on him and be saved. But none of that can happen without somebody going away from their home and what's comfortable to them and going on mission to the unreached. Does that make sense? So my question for all of us tonight, every single year I get to preach this, is are you willing to go? Are you full send, surrender to Jesus for whatever he wants to do in your life? Or are you holding back in any way? It's really normal to be holding back. I'm just throwing it out there. We're all superhuman, or we're all very human, not superhuman. <laughs> the Holy Spirit kind of makes us super, anyways. Um, it's really normal to be wrestling with the comfort and all that stuff. I still do for sure. So I'm not trying to like say you're supposed to be at a certain place, but I just want to have us wrestle with that question. Are, are you willing to go? If Jesus asks you to go, not all of us are supposed to go to the unreached long term uh, necessarily, but I do think Paul would say, and Jesus would compel all of us to join God's mission. We all are called to partner with him in reconciling people all over the world to Jesus. And all that starts with an understanding of the importance of reaching the unreached. And all of us wrestling with that uncomfortable question, would I go? Am I willing to go wherever Jesus calls me to do? Stay in Ellensburg, move to Seattle, move to Indonesia, or India or Oman? and orient my life around Jesus' one mission. And again, this is in the message, this is a shout-out. If you want a really strategic place to start, dude, go to Discover the Nations, because that is the best place to learn to welcome international students, build friendships, learn how to communicate with the gospel cross-culturally to a bunch of different, like, worldviews. It's just incredible. So I would for sure hype that. As we close, the worship team can come up. Thank you guys for being patient. Um... I remember a few weeks ago when I preached on the healing in Acts chapter 3, I said, guys, do you know that God can transform a life in an instant? Do you still believe that that's true? 
Paul's story really inspires me that nobody is too far gone for Jesus to transform. Nobody is too elite to spend their life serving Jesus or too lost of a cause to change the world for Christ. And it's so crazy to me how much one regular dude who's filled with the Spirit can change the world. Paul changed our world. And remember, he started as Saul. So as we move to our application questions tonight, let's let this word and the God who met Saul on that road meet us tonight. So a couple questions I wanted to remind us of. Have you experienced the transformation in your life? How is Jesus transforming you right now? How would you articulate your identity? And what is your sense of mission? Are you willing to go wherever and do whatever God calls you to do? Or what, what aspect are you wrestling with? I'll just pray and then we'll respond in worship. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to all of us the surpassing worth of knowing you um, and that you would just lead us into, like I said a couple weeks ago, bigger or better. It's just trading up as we get to know you. Everything else starts to feel kind of like garbage. Um, And I just pray that you would help us discover you more and more, Jesus, um, to discover you in truth, that you would meet us personally tonight, and that you continue in your goodness to transform us, to define us, help us understand our identity, and lead us in your mission. So pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.